Thank you so much for joining us today for our LifePoint podcast. At LifePoint, we believe everyone's welcome, nobody's perfect, and with God, anything's possible. Hope you enjoy. I'm so glad you're here. I'm so glad you're here. My name is Danny Rivers, and I'm one of the pastors here uh, at LifePoint. We're in a brand new series called Fail Proof. I'll explain that in a minute. But, but if you ever get to a place in your life where you just feel stuck, um, like, like you feel hopeless or helpless about a certain area of your life that you're wanting to change, but you just seem like it's inevitable that you're going to be stuck here, trapped, caught up in a moment or a season or a struggle, I have. And there can be this sense of, uh, I don't think things will ever change in this, this area of my life. And then there's this, for me, there's this gap between the man I want to be and the man that I actually am, between the real me and the ideal me, between the real me that I want to be and what I actually am in this moment right now. And then, and then there is this notion of can I close the gap between where I am and, and, and where I want to be? And then the real question becomes, I think for me as a leader, as a pastor, and then just as a Christian, is how do we get from where we are to where God wants us to be? Like, what does it look like to go from where I know I am in relation to where I know I could be and where God would have me to be? I don't mean God wants me to be in like a kind of like a, you better get there. I'm talking about that he just desires better things for us. How do I close that gap. Is change possible? And, and the answer we'll find from the text that we're going to be studying for the next four or five weeks in Second Peter is an absolute and resounding yes. Yes, change is possible. Even when things seem dead. Even when things seem like they're dying. We're, we're going to read from Second Peter chapter 1 today. If you have your Bibles, you can go there you're on your phones, on your app, those of you at home, however you want to do that. But I want to give you some detail first. Peter is one of the 12 disciples. Um, furthermore, he is, I would say, Jesus, one of Jesus' closest three. There's Peter, James, and John, the, the very three that he was most in tune with. And he has a group of people who call him pastor, uh, Christ followers. Um, he is a concern, he's concerned for them. This is why he's writing this letter to them. He's concerned for them, men and women, children that he knows, that he loves, that he's been called to care for. In fact, Jesus says to him after the resurrection, after Peter has failed Jesus, he says, Peter, do you love me? And three times Jesus asked this question and three times Peter responds, yes, Lord, you know I do. And in every case, Jesus responds back to him, feed my sheep. Feed my lambs is the way he put it. And so Peter puts pen to paper and he gives, he gives those followers, those same people, some wisdom to grow in Christ and to stabilize their faith in a season, I promise you, in the season that they're in, the diaspora has occurred, meaning that they have been scattered all over the nations um, because of, of the persecution that came on the Christian church in that first century. They've been scattered. They're facing intense pressure and persecution. There, there is troubles within. There are troubles without. And so he's writing to them to say, hey, I, want, I, I see you. I know what you're going through. And I want to give you some wisdom for how to have a fail-proof kind of faith. Now, remember that Peter is the guy 
who was present on the day that the Christian church as we know it now was born. We call this the day of Pentecost. And there were these people from all over the world, all over the region, the Jewish people who had come back to Jerusalem for the feast and for the Passover. And, and, and I, won't, I won't get into all of that, but there's a lot of people there and Peter is tasked with preaching the message that, that will birth the Christian movement into existence. And 3,000 people get added to the church on that day. And the Holy Spirit gets poured out and baptizes those believers, we read, with fire and supernatural power and spiritual gifts. And, and just FYI, in my sincere opinion, the Holy Spirit is still doing all of that today, here, now. Come on. Right, just an amen, all right? Now, remember, though, that Peter is also the guy who denies Jesus three times. In the moments that Jesus would have seemed to have needed him most, when it counted most, he failed spectacularly. So look at what Jesus says to Peter just moments, like literally hours before Peter fails him. He says, Simon, Simon, this is another name for Peter. Satan has, notice this word, has asked so he's asking God, can I do this? And just so you know, your enemy, your spiritual enemy has to go through God before he can get to you. Just, just know that, just know that. That's, that's an important thing. Satan is asked to sift all of you as wheat, meaning he wants to scatter you all over. But I have prayed. So, so, so Jesus is saying to Peter, he's asked to sift all of you, like all of the disciples, but notice the, the personal nature of this, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not, say this with me, fail. And when you have turned back, now what he's saying, what Jesus is saying to him is you're going to fail, right? I'm telling you, you're gonna fail. He's already told him he would. You're gonna fail, but because of the kind of person you are, you're gonna get back up. You're gonna get back up on the horse. And when you do, and when you've turned back, strengthen your brothers. Give courage, give encouragement to not only the brothers that are present with you, but someday you're going to lead a group of people, Peter. You're going to be the pastor of some people. And, and when, when you get your feet back up, when you have mastered this, I want you to strengthen your brothers. Now, notice what Jesus specifically prays for, that, that his faith may not fail. What Jesus is not saying is, Peter, I hope you don't fail because he knows Peter will. He knows that we all will. He's saying, Peter, I'm praying for you specifically that when pressure comes, when trials come, when, when, when temptations come, that your faith will not fail you. And that's what's at the heart of this series that we're going to be in for the next several weeks called Fail Proof. We're going to learn from a man who Jesus himself prayed for his faith that it would not fail. And, and it didn't, so tradition says, and, and Jesus gives a little bit of foretelling in John's gospel that, Peter, you're going to be martyred. You're going to be martyred for your faith. And he gives him this kind of sense, but he tells John, you're not going to be, and Peter's not happy about that. Come on. Like, if you're two dudes and you're like, John, you're not going to die a terrible, painful death. But, Peter, you are. Come on. Right? So you're like, I think I want to follow a different guy. Right? Right? So tradition says that Peter died by crucifixion. And, and he says he didn't feel worthy to die in the same way that Jesus did, so he asked them to crucify him upside down. So I want you to understand what I'm saying now. Even at the point in the face of death, Peter, Peter's faith did not fail him. So I think Peter has something to tell us about a fail-proof faith. But, but this kind of faith, and, and you gotta know this, this kind of faith wasn't grown 
overnight, right? When Jesus prays this, it's not miraculously his faith is strong. Now he fails in moments later, right? Moments later. Now, now here we are, many, 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 many years later, Peter writing his second letter, probably AD 66, AD 67, somewhere in that range, maybe 65. He's, he's much older now, much wiser, tested, telling us how to have the kind of faith that lasts and stands the test of times. And believe me, we will all need this before it's said and done. We will need this kind of faith. And what I love here is that Peter is a guy um, like us who struggled, who, who didn't always get it right, who came up short in the faith department early on. But, but he's also a guy who sort of dug his heels in and, and did his very best. And at the end of his life, he had mastered it and he wants to show us how that happens. How over time, over time you can grow a fail a proof faith. So 2 Peter chapter one, here's our text. I'm gonna tell you some stuff and then I'm gonna get to the heart of the text, which we're gonna spend the rest of our time on. But here, here's where we're going first. Simon, or Simeon Peter, so this is a derivative, same word, but Simeon Peter, a, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing. And I want you to understand when he says a faith of equal standing, he's saying a few things, but one of the things that I think he's saying is, listen, I'm not a superhero. Like I'm not an X-man faith guy. Your faith is just like mine. Is everybody with me? Like, cause we can think, oh, Paul, Peter, all the James, they had some like X-man powers. No, no, they didn't. They had a faith that was of equal standing with ours. But, but where did it come from? By the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And then he prays this blessing in verse two. May grace and peace, may grace and peace, the two great gifts of God. Could you use a little more peace right now? Yes or no? Could you use some more grace right now? Yes or no? Right. May, may grace and peace, Peter says, be multiplied to you in the knowledge if you got your Bibles out, underline that word. We're going to see this word pop up again and again. In the knowledge of God and of Jesus, our Lord. So right out of the gate, Peter lets us know that our faith and subsequently our salvation was obtained for us by the righteousness, by the sinless perfection of Jesus Christ, the, the Lamb of God who was slain for all of us. And Peter is saying that our faith is in, is in the same quality or goodness uh, that his is, that, that it's not anything that we do or that we earn. And it's important that he starts out here because later on he'll write some words that could confuse us, that we have to do certain things to sort of become saved. Uh, but he's telling us right out of the gate, we don't earn our right standing with God. And the good news is that it was accomplished by the righteousness of, of Jesus Christ. And then notice again, verse, verse grace and peace. Grace and peace be multiplied to you. Now, why am I telling you all this before I get to the heart of the thing? Well, the, the important thing is because when we talk about growth and when we talk about change and we talk about becoming, we tend to think my brain works in the way that I think, okay, now what do I gotta do to do that? What's the list? What's the seven top secrets of the stuff that I gotta do? And, and Peter doesn't start out by giving us a list. He starts out here by reminding of them of what they already have by faith, these, these divine riches, these uh, inestimable wealth, the wealth of God that has been made, uh, put at our disposal 
But make no mistake that change that, 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 that needs to come in our lives will come because of God's grace and God's gift. They are the source of change, not your willpower, right? Now, now that's important because here we are thinking about change and the way I think about change is always in terms of my own strength and my own willpower. But God is telling us through Peter that he has already given us an incredible head start in this area. And then to further drill down, verse three, his divine power has granted to us, say this with me, Okay, that was like 16%. All right, here we go. Ready? Let's try it again. <laughs> has granted to us all things. That's better. That, that pertain to or, or for. That has given us all things for life and godliness. So not just, not just the God things of our life, but just the life things of our life. Right? Right? He's given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Now, how do we get them? Through the knowledge of him who has called us to his own glory and his own excellence. Without fanfare, he launches into one of the most important truths that you and I need to know about how to get from where we are to where God wants us to be is that God proof faith gives us everything we need. In other words, if you're a believer in Jesus, if you're following Jesus, you already have everything you need that pertains to or is for life and godliness. Let's just break this down for a second. Back to verse three again, if you don't mind. His, his divine power, right? What, what kind of power do you and I need to get us out of the ruts and the, and, and the grip of the things that have us hostage right now, right? It's not my own power, because I'm gonna tell you my story. Here's the story of my life. Every year, January 1, I start the year, but it's so bad that I didn't do it this year. Come on, y'all. Uh, like, I, I, I vow to make some changes about what I eat and what I, how I'm gonna work out and how I'm gonna do my health and yada, yada, yada. And I end the year not making very much of those vows. Come on. Am I alone here? Come on, y'all leaving a brother hanging up here, <laughs> right? So, so this isn't what Peter is talking about. He's not talking about our willpower or our won't power, which is even more important sometimes, can I? Yeah, anyways, but, but, but what he's saying is, listen, you have his divine power, uh, a resource that is, you can access. You got access to God's own power, Right? And then he says, he has granted to us. How, how do we get this power? He's granted to us. Well, a grant means that I don't have to pay it back, right? I didn't earn it. I don't have to pay it back. The only qualification to receive God's power is that I need it. That's the only qualification. And, and he's granted to us, what? All things. He holds nothing back. Absolutely everything we need in this life, he's given to us. And, and what has he given to us? Everything that we need that pertains or is for Life and godliness. I, I love this word being here because he could have just said godliness, but he's saying that all of our life matters to God and he's given us power to, to overcome, to succeed, to win at all the areas of our life, not just the godly things of life, right? And, and then we get to verse four. And he says, by which he has, here's the word again, he, he has granted to us his precious so that's a good word already, but then it's his very great promises. So, 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 so you understand here, when you read the New Testament, when you read parts of the Old Testament, there are all these promises that God has given us, has promised to his people, to the people of Israel, to the people of the New Tradition, of the New Testament, the Gentiles, the people, us, right? All these promises he has granted to, them, uh, to us so that through them, through these promises, you may become, notice this word, and here's this word, underline it, because this is what we're trying to do. We're trying to become the person God had in mind when he created us, so that you may become 
partakers of the divine nature, which is mind-blowing, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. So sinful desire is the reason that we have so many bad things happening in the world. We have a war in Ukraine right now because of sinful desire. That's, that's, that's what it says. And he says, because of, because of the great and precious promises, you become partakers of the divine nature and you get to escape much of what the rest of the people who don't have this have to go through, right? So, so, so then this word here, the divine nature. Let's think about the word nature for just a moment. So without getting into too much detail, because there are children in the room and whatnot, when you were conceived, right, in your mother's womb, the DNA of your parents, both of them and their parents and their parents and your ancestors was implanted into you. Everybody with me on this, right? We don't need to go into detail. It just happens. Praise God for that. The stork comes and it happens, right? And, and <laughs> their genetic makeup at a DNA level, right, was put into you. And so what happens with DNA, we know this now, is it plays itself out in your life, uh, throughout your life, and it makes you what you are, and it has a big impact on who you are, right? And so then what that means is that you become a kind of reflection uh, in some way of your, of your ancestors. And so sometimes you'll see uh, pictures in an old, you know, photograph book that you find at your grandma's house, and you're like, who's this guy? He looks exactly like me. Oh, that's your great-great-grandfather. And you're like, wow, I look like my great, who I didn't even know I existed, right? Because you don't know who you, most of you don't even know who your great-grandparents are, right? Right? Like, like by the time I was like six or seven years old, my grandparents were gone, except my grandmother, who I never saw because she lived in another state. But I become a reflection um, in some ways of my ancestors, and their nature is part of my nature. Everybody with me so far? So when you're born again spiritually, the, the, the Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of our hearts by faith. And so we learn this from places like Ephesians chapter 1, where Paul says, And you were also included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel, when you heard the gospel, but here's when it really took root, when you believed, when you put faith in, when you put trust in, you were marked in him with a seal, like a stamp, the promised Holy Spirit. So the divine nature, the Holy Spirit of God comes to, and, and dwells in our hearts by faith. And, and, and he says, when that happens, you were marked in him with a seal. And then look at verse 14. Who, who who's the who here? Holy Spirit is. Who is a deposit or a down payment? We understand down payments, right? right? Down payments. And look what happens with this down payment of the Holy Spirit. Guaranteeing, come on, that's a huge word, our inheritance. What's our inheritance? Eternal life. Home in heaven with Jesus forever, right? The Holy Spirit, the divine nature gets imprinted on our hearts and he's a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession. Now I wanna tell you what that means. Like, like the redemption happens, ha it happens in the beginning. I'm justified just as if I never sinned. When I give my heart to Jesus, I am declared right and right standing with God. But I am not sanctified, which is another word, which is just an ongoing process. That doesn't happen until I get to heaven. So what I'm trying to tell you is one day, God willing, long, long ages from now, you are going to die. And in that moment, you're going to get your inheritance that's been guaranteed because the Holy Spirit has been imprinted, in, embedded inside your heart, Okay. So this is what we're reading here. What we're reading here is that our faith, our trust in God caused God to put his spirit inside of us. His divine nature becomes part of our spiritual makeup in the same way that uh, we get the DNA of our ancestors. And over time, over time, over time, we become 
a kind of mirror reflecting his goodness and his glory and his attributes. And so his work, his divine power is at work inside of our hearts. And so what we would tend to think is nothing's happening in my life. I'm not changing. I'm not growing. I'm not becoming. I'm dormant. Nothing's happening. That's not true. His work inside our heart starts to shape us and mold us and transform us. We don't even often know what's happening for the rest of our life into the person that he had in mind when he made us. So 2 Corinthians 3.18 says that we are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory. We are being transformed into his image, so we are beginning to reflect him over time, over time with ever-increasing glory, it says. So, so, so verses three and four, which we've just spent a lot of time on, right, are super hope-filled in telling us what we already have access to and what we've been given, but, 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 but. I wanna say this very gently. They're hope-filled, but they're also a kind of warning, I believe, to us as well, that we have no excuses then not to grow, not, not, not to become more like Jesus, to, to not have the Holy Spirit of God inside of us transforming our lives from the inside out over time, that, that I, Danny, I have no excuse not to become more and more like Jesus, not to grow, because I have everything I need for life and godliness, Peter says, and I have the divine nature or, or the DNA of God himself living inside of me, molding, shaping, making me more like Jesus, if I will just cooperate with him. You understand what I'm saying so far? So, so, I think that the answer to the question of can I change, can things change, is an absolute yes. And what we're seeing here so far is that there is no wound then that is so deep in your life that you can't be healed from it. And there is no brokenness that has happened to you that is so devastating that you cannot be repaired of it. And there is no habit in your life that is so entrenched, so binding upon you that you can't be freed from it by the grace and power of God because whom the Son has set free is free indeed. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty and freedom. And, and that verse precedes the verse I just read to you that, that we are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory. God is doing a work that you can't see that is often dormant, that is often unseen. He's working on you if you'll Work with him so that change is possible. Doesn't matter how long you felt stuck, hopeless, trapped, enslaved, whatever the word you'd use is, transformation is possible. You are not stuck. You can be transformed with ever-increasing glory by the Spirit of God being imprinted by the divine power of God at work in your heart and your life. So back to verse three again. Back to verse three again. How does this all happen, right? We learn that it happens through the knowledge of him who called us through the knowledge. Now, whenever we're reading about the word knowledge, a lot of times we're reading about, the, uh, 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 like, so when we hear the word of knowing Christ or knowing him, so like Paul says, um, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and in the fellowship of his suffering. When, when Paul is saying that, he's not saying I want, I want to get more information about God, although that's part of it. It's not saying just know the Bible and you'll get all these great promises. What Peter is saying is when, when, that, that the way all of this comes to us is through, through the knowledge or through relational intimacy with God, right? It's, it's relational intimacy that comes 
from spending a lot of time with someone. But you can't really know someone until you've spent a lot of time with them. So, so I'm saying that to say this, that you and I, we have to win the daily battle of trying to spend some time alone with God every day. Like we have to do this or, or, or we don't have a relationship and we don't know him because all of this goodness and all this power, all of this comes through relationship with God. Or as Eugene Peterson so brilliantly said it, it's a long obedience in the same direction. A long walk in the same direction. So, so, so Peter's saying you don't grow just by trying to grow. You grow by getting to know God more and more and more and more. So I need you to know this because Peter, Peter doesn't get miraculously given this kind, of, this kind of fail-proof faith, even though Jesus himself prayed for it. What, what I need you to know about growth is that growth is gradual. Can I get it? Growth is gradual. <laughs> See that, man? I'm telling you. It's next level. I'm just kidding. You're like, man's lost his mind. Growth is gradual and it's progressive, meaning that it happens slowly over time, but over time it starts to speed up too. It starts to happen over time. It starts to progress faster and faster. It's like a big wheel that takes forever to get the big wheel moving. But once it's moving, it picks up speed and it's hard to stop. So when we focus instead of our willpower and our won't power, and we focus on knowing God, making him the priority of our life, getting to know him more and more, then he will unleash his power in your life and you will just grow over time. So, so we think of an acorn, which takes... 50 years to grow into a massive tree. By the way, we have the third largest oak tree in Bear County over here on our property, which is one of the reasons why it took so long for us to build this. Some tree people got all excited about that and didn't want us building here. So just FYI, it took that tree out there probably 100 or more years to get the size that it is, which is six feet wide at its base, right? Which is a big tree by San Antonio standards. It's like a miniature tree in Northern California, but it's a big tree here, right? So, so weeds grow fast and die fast, except here at my house. Come on, can I get an amen? <laughs> but oak trees grow slow and over time. So verse eight, and we'll come back to this. I just want to give this. He says, for if you possess these qualities, which we haven't even talked about them yet, in increasing measure, increasing measure, day after day, moment after moment, gains. Come on, y'all know gains, right? We're just getting, making gains slowly but surely over time. Now, now, the, the, the great theologian uh, Tony Robbins um, said, joke, by the way, Tony Robbins, not a theologian. He says, once you've mastered time, in other words, managing time, you will understand how true it is that most people overestimate what they can do in the short term or in a year, and they underestimate what they can do or achieve in a decade, uh, right? So, so whatever my ideal is, I probably won't get it there in a short time, but I'm American, so I want to, right? My job is just, a little bit over time, a little bit over time, day in, day. Sometimes I'll go backwards a little bit. Come on, y'all know how it works. If you're working out, right, you lose some, and that's why you got to make gains the next day, right? But over time, the gap between the me that I am and the me that I want to be starts to close over time. The, 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 the version, the, the, the person I am now and the person God wants to be over time, over time, over time. I, I give God's work in my heart and my life over time. And so here's where the list comes in. For this very reason, Verse five, make every effort to supplement your faith 
with virtue, seven qualities here, virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. So it starts with faith and it ends with love. Great pillars of our faith. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful in the, here we go again, in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse five from the NIV this time. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge. And, and, and he goes on and tells us these seven qualities, which we're gonna talk about over the few weeks. Okay, so my brain works weird, admittedly. I, I understand this, right? Like some of you who know me are like, yes, bro, it does. There's something wrong with you. You should get help, right? But, but earlier we read that we have everything we need for life and godliness. And now the brother is saying, hey, but also make every effort to add. So this is why, by the way, this is why it's important that Peter tells us where our righteousness comes from. Like, it's not because we're gonna make every effort to add to, to our salvation. That's not what he's saying. Everybody with me on this? Make every effort to add. Like, brother, you just told me that I already have everything I need and now you're telling me to get some more stuff, right? Right, so here's, here's what I think he means. Having all you need is not the same thing as making all of, of it all you can, right? So everything you need is at your disposal, but you have the responsibility to do something with what's been set in front of you. So, so imagine you wanna build your dream home Somebody finds out about it and gets everything you need, the land, the equipment to clear the land, the plans, the permits, all the materials, everything's there, uh, everything's out there perfectly wait at, waiting, and all that's now necessary is you, right? Now, go make every effort to build your house because without that wood, weather, siding, rots, nails, rust, weeds flourish. Can I get a witness to weeds flourishing? Tools and machines oxidize. Years pass and you're still living on the RV you pulled out onto the land. Come on, y'all know this guy, right? You've seen that guy. Some of you are like, that is me. I'm that guy. I still live in my RV on the land that I'm gonna build on some, someday, right? But, but Peter says there's some assembly required. Peter says, for this very reason... Meaning, because you have all that you possibly could ever need down to the last washer and the tiniest screw, for this reason, make every effort to make the most of what you've been given, right? Seven virtues he gives us. And then he says in verse 10, for if you practice these qualities, those seven qualities, if you practice, come on, everybody say practice. We're talking about practice, Alan Iverson, anybody? All right. Come on, that's one of my favorite lines of all time. We're talking about practice. Yeah, I love it, man. I love me some Alan Iverson, man. He was so good. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. I heard you say fail. I wished it said fail too. Because it would have been really better for my message if it said fail. Anyway, I'm just kidding. It says you will never fall. Peter older, wiser, facing death imminently, saying, listen, my beloved lambs, my beloved friends, my beloved sheep, I know you've been scattered. I know you're facing stress. I know you're having persecution. I know there are challenges that you never dreamed when you were young you would face. I know this, but if you'll trust me on this, this is what I've learned. If you'll just add to all, you've been given all of this stuff, the divine nature, the divine power, grace and peace, abundant gifts beyond measure. 
But over time, if you want to grow, if you want to, if you want to build it, I want you to add. I want you to make every effort to practice. And he doesn't even say master. To practice these qualities. And if you do, trust me, he says, trust me, you will never fall. Now, I, I know for some of us who've been living this way for a while and struggling for a while, there's a part of us that wants to believe this. But the, but the years of struggle in an area often diminish our quest to be more like Jesus. Old wounds, old fears, old ways, old habits. We say we'll never click on that again, and we do. We say we'll never think that again, and we do. We never say that again, but we do. We've gone to the altar. We've gone to the cross. We've gone to the counselor. But the thing plagues us and plagues us and mocks us and gloats over you. And over time, time passes And we learn to live with our fears and our failures and our sins, hoping against hope that no one will ever find out. We just learn to live with them. The early church fathers gave specific names to our chronic plight. I think it was Pope Gregory in the 5th century, somewhere around there, that called these things the seven deadly sins. It's the sins of... Of, of, of pride and envy and greed and sloth and gluttony and anger and lust. Not just a sin in and of itself, but it's a sin that creates more sins. So greed is a sin by itself, but it creates the seed of thievery and hoarding and lying and exploitation and injustice and addiction. Greed becomes a breeding ground for a ton of other sins. Does that make sense? And so what do we do? What do we do? We have these, these plagues of these seven deadly sins that are constantly at, we're at war with. We're, we're, we're challenged by not all of them, but some of them. So Peter says, hey, I want to give you something old, yet new. Seven virtues. The early church fathers called them the capital virtues, these things that we just read. They are the sort of heavier counterweight to the seven deadly sins. Like, this is weighing me down, but I want to give you something that will not only balance the scales in your favor, but will, will defeat those in your life. Will help you overcome them. The seven capital virtues. And Peter says, if you'll practice this over time, you will never fall. You will have a fail-proof faith. So that God has no less ambition for you and I than to take people, good people who are often drawn to do bad things, evil things even. People hampered by sin, ruined by sin and to transform them. God has no less ambition than to transform us while still on this earth into the likeness of Jesus Christ. And it won't happen fully while we're on this side of heaven but God's intentions are to get the job well underway on this side of heaven. So I'm to build my house on faith. Add to your faith, Peter says, goodness or moral excellence. And to that add, add, add knowledge. And, 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 and then he goes down and he lists these things, but the foundation is faith. Now, when I was a kid, and, and believe it or not, I'm almost done. It sounds like I'm ramping up for something else, and I kind of am. When I was a kid, because of the tradition I was raised in, which was faith-filled and was powerful in so many ways, I would often think of faith as being like, may the force be with you. Come on. You know, like, 
Remember that commercial, that kid trying to make the lights come on on the Volkswagen, he's dressed in Darth Vader costume, right? Like I would think if I could just get enough, if I could tap into the force that I could overcome Darth Vader. Come on, I could banish him to the outer realms. But I realize that's not exactly what is meant by faith. And now as I've matured, as I've grown, faith, faith for me boils down to two things. That God is who he said he is. Amen, somebody? And that God can do what he said he can do. Faith is that God is, is, it's my firm assurance, my conviction that God is who he said he is. And that God can do what he said he can do. Hebrews 11, that great anthem of faith says, now faith is confidence. Would you say that with me? It's confidence in in what we hope for, meaning we don't have it yet. And it's assurance about what we do not even see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith, verse three, by faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen, what we can see, was not made out of what was seen. That God took things that weren't even in existence yet and made the things that we can see and feel and taste and hear and, and witness with our senses, he made them out of things that weren't unseen. Meaning that the bedrock of faith is a conviction that what matters most is more than what I can see, feel, hear, taste, and see. That the visible things are actually made by or from and sustained by things unseen. That God becomes the existence upon which all other existences depend. Verse 6. And without faith it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists, that God is who he said he is. And that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Remember that word knowledge? That all of the good things in our life that God has for us to, become, to have fail-proof faith, it all comes from those who earnestly seek him. That God is who he said he is and that God can do what he said he can do. That's the faith. That's the foundation upon which every other thing gets built on. At at one point, Peter asks Jesus, obviously having just been offended by someone, he says, Lord, how, how how often should we forgive somebody who sinned against us? And then he thinks, I'm gonna give Jesus this next level answer. Seven times? Like the Levitical tradition was three times. Like, so I'm gonna go at a how, never, level. How, never, level, anybody? Anyways. I ruin my own messages all the time by saying things like that, right? And Jesus says to them, no, no, 77 times or 70 times seven, depending on how you read it. And, and Peter and the other people just present there just go, oh, wow, Lord, increase our faith. Lord, increase our faith. So, I think this is the prayer for us. In, in, a, in a world where there's pressure without, where there's pressure within, there's forces opposing um, our faith. There's things happening. There's scary things happening in the world. 
And what we don't need is more cunning, more skill, more talent, more resources. What we need is, Lord, increase our faith. God, put in us a hunger and a, and a drive and a desire to more than ever before earnestly seek him because you are a rewarder of them who want more of you, Jesus. How do I build a fail-proof faith? Peter says, listen, the best thing I can tell you is that the best things that come from God are gonna come through intimacy with him, through your knowledge of him, through your knowing him deeply. And that takes time, just like it did with your relationships that you have now. It takes time. But I'm praying, God, increase our faith collectively and increase my faith individually. And I think probably it's true that true faith is the conviction that nothing that this world or this life has to offer is more gratifying than pursuing God, than knowing God. Nothing in this world is worth more than pursuing God and knowing God. So Lord, can we say this together? Lord, increase our faith. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for the word of the Lord. God, where my words have failed or where I have not explained in a good way, I just pray that the spirit of God would come in and illuminate this text, this, these words that you gave your servant, Peter. I pray, God, that there would be a conviction in all of us God, a a challenge issue to all of us to make the priority of our lives the pursuit of more of God. That that, That my prayer might echo Paul's, that I may know him, that I may have relationship with God in the power of his resurrection, which we're gonna celebrate in a few weeks, but also, Lord, in the fellowship of his suffering, that I may know God. Lord, like Peter prayed for his his flock, I pray for those who would call me their pastor. God, may grace and peace be multiplied on these precious people, God. Here, those online as well, God, grace and peace be multiplied. God, would you... Would you, would you, would you make our minds and our, our hearts aware of the greatness of our God? God, would the gifts that you've given us come into focus like never before, that we would take our eyes off of the things of this world. May they grow strangely dim, as the song says, in the light of your glory and grace. I pray, Father, increase our faith. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. And everybody said a good amen. Can we we give the Lord a, a hand, would you? Thank you, Jesus. Time to roll, time to roll for sure. But before we do, a couple things. And this is a challenge to, like normally I say, I say to all of you, hey, if you've just given your life to Jesus, I want you to go take a next step. And I want to say this to everybody in this room, every believer, those of you who've been a long time. See, the thing is, the longer we've been a believer, sometimes the more we say, I've been in this way a long time. And sometimes what, what we really mean is I'm just kind of in my own way. Can I get a witness on that, right? 
So, so what I'm saying is we, think, we tend to think that some people need to take a next right step, but not me. I've been doing this a long time. But I would, I'm going to say to you the same thing I would say to me, that everybody needs to take a next right step. That's what it means to grow in our faith, to grow in our knowledge. We're going to do, do next right steps. So that may be reading the Bible. And if you're like, well, where do I start, Danny? Well, I'm going to tell you where to start. Second Peter chapter 1. You're welcome. You're like, no, no, you just broke it down for us. No, 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 I want you to go study that and I want you to read that and I want you to Google it and I want you to look it up and I want you to get your Bible commentaries out. You're like, well, I don't own any of those. Well, they're online for free, right? Go, go, go study that stuff, get into it and let it grow your heart and grow your mind and grow your knowledge and grow your intimacy. The goal is not more knowledge in terms of intellectually, but I wanna tell you something about Jesus. Jesus meets a woman at the well. You're like, he's preaching again, just real quick. And he says to her, the true worshipers are going to come and worship God in spirit and in truth with, with, with emotions and with intellect. And some of us are bent more towards intellect or more towards emotion. And Jesus says, no, no, that's not one or the other. Jesus says, there's a time coming when the, when the Father is looking for worshipers who do both. So, so, so believers who've been believers for a long time, next right steps. Whatever that looks like for you, learn more, grow more, take a next step. Maybe that's volunteering. Maybe that's joining a life group. Let's just get to it. Last thing, last thing. Prayer partners are right here, by the way. Second to last thing. Prayer partners are right here. If you want to be prayed for today, they'd love, love to do that. Last thing, if you want to give today, we've been talking about this the last couple of weeks. You can do that at lifeonestcom slash give. You can do it out at our kiosk. We put a thing called Ukraine giving on there. And so um, we've been talking about this for the last few weeks. If you want to give, and a lot of people have already done so in, in our, our two previous gatherings before this one, a lot of people have already done that. Uh, every dime that's going to come in on that is going to be given, and we're gonna, the church is going to give some money in addition to that, but whatever comes is going to be given on top of that. Last week, I just got to say this as a testimony. Last week we told you that our missionary in Lithuania, who's been here on the stage, who we support every month financially, ask us, can we get him some bulletproof vests? And that's when I realized this is a whole other thing than what we hear in the news. And like, this is a new thing because I've never, no, no, no pastor in a church has probably said, hey guys, can y'all hook up brother up some bulletproof vests, right? But here's the thing, one, one of our brothers in this church right here who, who works in this industry, who has friends across this industry, uh, heard what we said, responded to it. And, and I don't know if I'm exactly right on this, but I know that either, either right now or in the next couple of days, some have, I think it's 80 to 100, maybe 100 bulletproof vests are on their way to Lithuania right now because, because of this kind of a community that we have. His resources were multiplied because of his contacts and they're going out. But, but that's the beauty of a body of Christ is that all together we can all make differences even in to the end, uttermost parts of the world. So when you give today, don't be afraid to just tag, tag that Ukraine right there. And, and we, we want to help and we want to make a big difference for our missionary in Lithuania. He's doing incredible work. There's orphans that are being picked up out of their orphanages in Ukraine. All of them on buses are being bused into to Lithuania. He said there's a whole busload of kids that got off the other day. No parents, nobody there, and the country is responsible for them now. And he says, we're helping them. We're getting clothes and food. So when you give, you're making a big difference. I'm done. I'm done. I'm for real. Stand with me real quick, everybody. Sorry, sorry. High five somebody. Give them some bump. Give them some love. Prayer partners up here. Love you guys so much. Have an amazing, amazing week. Let the favor and the peace and the blessings of God be upon your life. Amen. Hope you enjoyed the podcast today. If this ministry has impacted you in any way and you'd like to help us continue to reach others, please visit lifepointsa.com slash give to make a donation. We hope you have a great rest of your week and we hope to see you soon at one of our Sunday worship experiences. God bless.